Everyone doing good? Awesome. Alrighty. As uh, y'all know, uh, we are finishing up Mark, and we'll be in chapter 16, uh, verses 14 through 20. And uh, while y'all are moving over there, I'll just um, share a little bit of recapping from uh, last week and what we'll be digging into today. Um, and so uh, if you were here last week, uh, Mike shared a little bit with y'all about uh, how this part of a lot of our Bibles has a, a note that says that these verses are not a part of many of the earlier manuscripts. And so this is because, just to state the obvious, a lot of the oldest manuscripts don't have these verses uh, in it. Um, <laughs> and so um, uh, that doesn't mean that all of them don't. It just means that a significant number of them do not. And so it's worthy uh, of noting. Um, but a lot of the, some of the older manuscripts do, and some of the newer manuscripts do include verses uh, 9 through 20. Um, a lot of the early church fathers uh, did not appear to be aware of these verses, uh, but a few of them, including including one of the early church fathers, um, man, his name is hard to say, uh, Erroneous, uh, wrote about these verses and knew about those verses. And throughout the history of the church, uh, these verses 9 through 20 have consistently been treated um, as canon. And uh, like Mike said last week, uh, these verses are reliable. They do not contradict any of the other Gospels, or nor do they, nor do they contradict any of the Scriptures uh, at all. Um, it is just worthy of noting that a lot of the oldest manuscripts seem to not include 9 through 20. Uh, but again, they are reliable. They do not contradict any of the other Scriptures. And throughout the history of the Church, um, these verses have been treated as uh, canon. And so with that in mind, if y'all would please stand, and we will go ahead and read verses 14 through 20. All right. Uh, starting in verse 14. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen, he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Y'all may be seated. All right, so here we are at the end of Mark, 
And right here, what we see happening, this takes place after uh, Jesus goes to the cross, after he dies, and he rises uh, from the dead. And here he has gone to and he appears to the disciples, uh, the 11. And this is the first time he's appeared to the group after the resurrection. And what's interesting is what we see happens is that Jesus rebukes uh, the disciples. And he does so because, as we know from previously, that the, the disciples, the rest of the disciples had de- re- refused to believe what two of the disciples had already shared with them. And so Christ had appeared to two, and these two went to the rest of them, and the rest of them did not believe that they had seen the risen uh, Christ. And so what we see here is Christ rebukes them for not uh, believing. And so I think it's worth noting that in the midst of this moment, uh, the disciples are tired, they're exhausted, they're anxious, and they're scared, uh, because for whatever reason, Mark doesn't tell us here uh, what John tells us in chapter 20, verse 19, uh, that they're scared for their lives. And so 20, John, chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19 tells us that on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And so when Christ appears to the disciples, there's a lot going on with them. Um, they're concerned about what's going to happen because they're followers of the one who had just been crucified. And even with, that being, with, even with that being said, all that they had gone through, the living with Christ, walking with Christ, seeing everything that he had done, um, they still don't get it. They still do not understand and believe in the, the resurrection. And so Christ does rebuke them uh, for that. But what's interesting here, though, is even though like the disciples, with, what they're, with what's going on and with what they're dealing with and their, still their lack of belief, what's interesting, though, is even though they don't believe and they lack faith, uh, what we see that Christ does is that Christ still sends them to go and uh, share the gospel. Uh, we see it in verse 15. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. I've just rebuked you for your lack of belief, belief but go into the world and preach the gospel. Um, and this, is commission, this, co- this commission that Christ gives is to the entire church. It's to men. It's to women. It's, to our, it's our instruction and so, and so many times we get caught up worrying and stressing about everything in life. What is my purpose? What am I here for? And like, what am I supposed to do? And this is what, what we're created for is really not complicated. Um, it's not very deep, so to speak, for us to, for, to speak on. Um, it's actually really simple. That you and I exist for God and for the commission on your life and, and my life which is to go into the world, to teach the gospel, and to make disciples. Like, it really is, uh, it really is that simple. Uh, we stress about this. We get anxious about this. We stay up at night thinking about this. We contemplate our purpose when we're driving in the car. Um, but it all always goes back to this very simple thing that we are here to teach the gospel and to make disciples. Um, that is ultimately what our purpose is, and it is uh, that simple. Uh, when you go into the, when you read through the, the Gospels, when you look at the book of Acts and you look at the, the epistles, um, you see that this commission that God has given us, it's not bound by biology, it's not bound uh, by family name. Uh, the preaching of the Gospel is to anybody and it is to uh, everybody. 
men and women are, dis- are, are being discipled by people who sometimes doesn't even make sense that they get along and walk together. Um, two of the Apostle Paul's uh, most well-known disciples, Timothy and Titus, are two young men who were not his biological uh, kids. Um, and so the Great Commission, this instruction to preach the gospel and to go and make disciples, you don't have to attend a church very long to ultimately end up hearing about this. Um, nothing that I'm saying here or I'm about to say is anything that's brand new. It's not earth-shattering. Um, I'm not up here trying to put a cool new spin on this. I'm just coming up here and just saying like what it is. Uh, you don't have to stay around a church or ministry very long to ultimately be hearing about this. But with that being said, that this is a really, like it's a really big deal. And it is a serious and great task that each one of us here who are followers of Christ have uh, been given. Because if we don't get this right, everything else in our lives we ultimately get wrong. It's, it's simple, but it is a, it's a simple big deal that we should take very seriously. Because the gospel is not simply for, simply for your buddy or your friend who you think would like it. It's not simply uh, for somebody who you think will get the message. And it's not just for your friend who you think is finally ready to hear. Um, the gospel, the discipleship, and the church is not just for those who you think will like it. It's for those who are you around. Uh, because you are ultimately a medic that has been put in a hurting world, and you've been given a prescription by the great doctor to give to your neighbor. Um, this is a serious uh, thing. And part of my prayer for you, part of my prayer for myself, is that not today or nor tomorrow would we ever make the mistake or think that you and I have the privilege to ever deny somebody the prescription uh, out of our own evil laziness or out of our, our wicked lack of motivation. Because you and I live in a very stupid and divisive culture. Um, everybody out there is fighting for your soul. The people that we call on the left are fighting for your soul. The people on the right are fighting for your soul. Like every little tribe or whatever in our culture is fighting for you right now. And it's easy for us to get caught up in, the gar- in that garbage and that filth because of how stupid and divisive everything is. Uh, but it's easy to get it twisted to think in the way the world is right now that you're at war with your neighbor uh, because you're not. This Jesus was and is very clear about this. Um, we cannot forget that Jesus summed the law up very easily and very clearly to the point that where any small child can understand this. He said to love God and to love your neighbor. And it is that simple. But for whatever reason, as simple as it is, we tend to try not to do this. Um, this includes your next door neighbor. This includes your coworker. This includes the cashier with an attitude. And this even includes the 20-year-old blue-haired girl with strong opinions. And whoever it is that might come to your mind at this moment while we're talking about this. Because we do have clear instructions from Christ, and those clear instructions are to go out into the world to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Um, And my plea for us is that we never think that you ever have the right to ever deny that to somebody because of personal preferences. Uh, Because it's somebody that you don't think that you would want to be in your church. Um, Because that's when we start getting caught up in uh, this cultural tribalism. We get get caught up in this divisiveness. 
Um, because again, you exist with a prescription from the great doctor for their good. And you've been entrusted with this message for their good and for the glory of God. And because again, you're not, you're not at war with your neighbor. Our war is not with the flesh, but our war is against darkness and evil spiritual forces. And when we don't stumble forward in obedience to Christ, or if, we're, if I'm being honest, or when we try to rationalize our disobedience to Christ, uh, we ultimately do lose. And if we get this simple instruction wrong, preaching the gospel, making disciples, again, we ultimately do get everything else wrong. And what we're learning, what we see in Mark 16 here is that what Christ has commissioned them with is not just an ideology, uh, it's not just a philosophy to debate, uh, but it ultimately is our created purpose from the one true living God who truly does love us and has given us great purpose and great instruction uh, in this life. And so by God's design, we win, and we ultimately do have nothing to fear. But with that being said, I do, I have, to, I do have to ask, like, what is it that you catch yourself being afraid of? Um, what is it that stops you from being obedient to these very, these very simple but important uh, instructions, this commissioning? Uh, what is it that you're stopping you, and what is it uh, that, is scared, that is scaring you? Because, again, here in Mark 16, Jesus has gone, showed up to the disciples, uh, risen from the dead, and they still, again, they, didn't, they did not believe. And he told them to, to go. Jesus shows up, he does rebuke them, and then he sends them to go on their way to proclaim this message that they had failed to believe up until that point. And so if Christ can send the, for the people who just moments ago did not believe, um, I challenge you, like, what is it that is stopping you and what is it that has you scared? Because I think when we say that I can't or I'm not ready or I won't, um, what we do is we're presenting ourselves as not ready and uncertain in ourselves. But I think ultimately what that's doing is that's masking our lack of trust in God, our lack of trust in Christ. Our self-doubt is masking our doubt in God and our, is masking our lack of belief. Because when we're not trusting Christ in his word and we're not trusting uh, the Holy Spirit ultimately to intervene, we're ultimately not trusting, we are not trusting God. And so I think there's not a person here, including myself, who cannot relate to that. That's not the point of what I'm getting at. Um, it's actually good that we can be in familiar company with others who doubt and fail to stop forward. Uh, but what we do have to acknowledge in that time is that it's not okay for us to stay in that place. And we do need to be stumbling forward in our obedience uh, to God. Because we easily forget that God has saved us through uh, other imperfect but obedient uh, followers uh, who were stumbling forward uh, in their faith. Uh, we forget that it is the Holy Spirit who made us to believe in that moment of time. It's not a perfect messenger, but it's, it is the Holy Spirit's. Um, I've shared with everybody here, previously standing here on conversation, uh, that I came into the faith while I was in college and I was a freshman. And one of the guys that God used to bring, to bring me in uh, to the faith, one, maybe two years later, went and joined a cult. Like, that's not the ideal messenger, right? <laughs> like, that's not good. Uh, but here I am. God was faithful in that time, that moment, 
the Holy Spirit was not bound by whatever weird stuff that dude ended up dealing with. Um, but like God was not bound by that. God uses any people at any place and time to do his work. And so the pressure should not be on us as the messenger um, because it's the Holy Spirit that changes the heart and causes us uh, to believe. And that's part of my testimony is why like God's sovereignty is easier for, easy for me to get on board with. The doctrines of grace, like I get that stuff partially because of like my testimony and how things have unfolded. Um, but we can find great comfort, we can find peace and rest in knowing that God is in control and he always is control. Like perfection and a certain standard is nothing that's ever uh, demanded from any of us. Um, it's never our responsibility and we forget this for some reason. Uh, it's never our responsibility to transform the heart of the person that we are talking to, or that we're working with, that we're, pre- we're preaching to. Uh, we are the messengers, and none of us are the Holy Spirits. There is not a person in this room that would make a great Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know. I mean, even like while I'm up here right now, um, I don't know how many times I've stuttered. I don't know how many times I've tripped over my words. Um, I, don't, I don't know that. Um, Emily will let me know later this week. Um, my point here is that there is not a per certain kind of presentation that's required on any of us. And for some reason, we put that pressure on ourselves, and that's not, that's not acceptable. Um, simply, We are simply called to stumble forward in obedience, and the Lord blesses that, and the Holy Spirit transforms the hearts. Um, we are simply called to be faithful and in our faithfulness, obedience. Um, and so, like, another small nugget of my testimony is part of the reason that I'm able to stand up here today is because, again, while I was in college, college was a great time for me. Um, there was an, an older man who was a pastor at a church in town. Um, and he um, had a heart to want to raise and disciple, uh, disciple is a better word, uh, other young men uh, in the faith. And so he saw a young man, spoiler alert, it's me, um, who was not his son, uh, but invested hours upon hours upon hours in my life. Uh, Bought me Bibles, bought me books. Um, I could never pay him back for the number of meals that he bought me, um, I could just never pay him back at, for anything for the impact that he made, uh, has made in my life. Uh, but he took, he took me in and discipled me and taught me. And I, should, didn't, I, had, I hung out with him, hung out with his family. And he generally brought me in and discipled me for years upon years upon years. Uh, he dealt with my arrogance, dealt with my hard-headedness. Um, but like, that's kind of like what we're talking about here. We're talking about the preaching of the gospel and making uh, disciples. Um, and that's why like, we see what's this, what, that example is what we see Christ doing with the disciples. That's what we see the apostles doing in, uh, in the Acts and through the epistles. Um, that's what we see, like God has, that's what God has called all of his men and women to do, is to go preach the gospel and make disciples be people that raise others up in the faith. And that has been for as long as I can remember my hope for myself, my hope for my wife, and that's my hope for each and every one of us here is that we stay faithful to those very simple instructions by doing what God has called us to do, which is to go out to the world and proclaim the gospel. 
And so Jesus tells them, go out to the world, proclaim the gospel. And following that, he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. If you're familiar, that's not a part of that passage. Um, but if you're familiar with scriptures, <laughs> uh, some of that stuff might sound uh, familiar. Um, you've seen other parts of the scriptures where you see uh, demons being casted out. Um, you've seen uh, the sick healed. And you've seen uh, si- many situations where people are speaking in tongues. And uh, you've seen a lot of miraculous things uh, happening. In this passage, the only things that we really don't see for the most part is uh, the handling of snakes and the drinking of poison. And so I, uh, golly, I can't do it, man. (laughs) I just can't do it. I totally choked. Uh, I was going to joke with you all about inviting a snake handler to the service. And I was going to point at somebody and invite them to come forward. I just can't do it. I choked. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so. <laughs> I'm so disappointed in myself. Oh, man. It's too late, Dana. It's too late. I can't do it. Um, especially after I told y'all. All right, so throughout the history of the church, if you know church history, there's not really an emphasis uh, on handling snakes. And you don't see throughout the church people... Um, uh, drinking poison and that kind of thing. Uh, there are little th- blips that we see of some really weird groups of people uh, who try to practice handling snakes, and there's a lot of reports about how that just does not usually go well. Um, and the only people that you know of probably who drink poison and it doesn't go well, we call those cults. Um, and so, but like, when you think, when we talk about the speaking in tongues, like speaking in tongues, that helps us spread the gospel, um, right? You speak to people that you're not supposed to be able to communicate with, and some really great and awesome things happen. Uh, people come into the faith, and we see how that is good for our neighbors. We see how that's edifying for the church, and we can see how God is glorified through that. Uh, the same with, um, like, uh, healing sick and casting out demons. Like, those are explicitly, explicit evidence of God's grace and God's mercy uh, to those people. So, but these things are, like I said, obvious um, evidence of God's power on display. But like how that handles with the, how that works with the handling of snakes and the drinking of poison, it doesn't really seem to be uh, as clear. Um, I have friends who are herpers. If you don't know what a herper is, it's people that go out to the wilderness and they catch snakes, oftentimes in the free time. It's weird. Um, and they clearly always do it for uh, science purposes. Um, but that's not what Mark's talking about here. The only example in the scriptures that we see of what we would probably call snake handling is in Acts 28. Uh, verses 3 through, five, 3 through 5 say, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, They said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. That's the only example of anything that 
we would consider snake handling uh, from the scriptures, the handling of a venomous snake. Um, that's the only biblical example, and it is with uh, an apostle. Um, there is no accounts in the New Testaments of apostles or believers uh, drinking poison. Um, however, there is some historical records that share with us that one of Christ's followers, uh, Eustace uh, Barsabbas, he was considered in Acts 1 to be the replacement of Judas. Um, there's not a lot about him in the New Testaments, but there is historical records of him being forced to drink poison uh, by people while he was on missionary work. And in the, in the records we see, we read that there was no harm caused him as a result of drinking the poison. Well, there's not a great deal of evidence for these two things, um, but what we can see here is that neither Paul or Eustace were trying to make a spectacle uh, of themselves. There's no flash or no great presentation. Uh, there's also no, uh, they also did not take up an offering afterwards. Uh, <laughs> um, they're not attempting uh, to test God, uh, which God's people are instructed not to do. Uh, we see Jesus says to Satan in Matthew chapter 4, verse 7, uh, it is written, do not put the Lord your God uh, to test. Um, but what we see with Paul in Acts is, again, it's not a show. He's not trying to make money. Um, it's a really awful situation that happened. Um, but what it did do was provide a witness to who God is. Um, and that's what we see with the historical record of uh, Eustace as well. Um, and no, it's not scripture, but it is a part of our, it's a part of our history. Um, and he was a follower of Christ. And what little bit we know about him is that he was sent to, by God to do the work of a missionary. And on one of his missionary journeys, while he was ministering to people, he was forced to consume something he did not want that was dangerous. And the, and the Lord, in his sovereign grace, protected him, and it was a witness to who God is. And that's ultimately what we see in these two accounts, that they're basically powerful works of God that verify the ministry of the gospel. And these accounts do not mean that we should expect these things to happen today. Um, but at the same time, I also do have to say that it doesn't mean that they won't happen today. And if anybody wants to fight me about that afterwards, you're welcome to. Um, there's a quote from uh, Josephus, who was an early Jewish historian. Uh, I believe I, I quoted him I think earlier when I, when I preached in Mark. It says that no one should possess magic potions or poisons nor any of the harmful things made by Israelites for harmful purposes. So if you choose to today or in your free time to go read about the history of the first century church, um, you will see that there was a number of cults that, was, that were existing around that time, and they had a lot of emphasis on like poisonous drugs and potions and that kind of thing. And there was times where sometimes that stuff would uh, creep into like Jewish Christian circles. And so uh, the point I'm getting at here is that we got examples of, from Paul, we got examples from uh, Eustace, and we got examples from uh, Josephus. Um, and so there was, from history we know that there was the consuming of poison going on in that day, and that was a concern for God's people like at that time. Um, we have the evidence to, to show that. And so for us, verses like that seem really far-fetched, and they seem like they aren't really appropriate. 
And that may not be a thing that like we may be dealing with like in, in our culture. Um, that was something that historically God's people were dealing with in that day. And that was a theme that was going on in a lot of the cultures to where they went to do missionary journeys and to plant churches and those type of things. And so what we see from Christ here is true and was necessary for those people in that time and date. Um, I say all that because part of the issue with the signs and wonders is the signs and wonders are not about themselves. Like that's, that's not the end goal. Um, but that's what we tend to make a big deal about. And in our culture, there's a lot of misuse for this passage and uh, other passages that do talk about the signs and wonders and so on. Uh, but the proper use of those miraculous, miraculous signs are explained here in this uh, passage in verse 20, where it says, They went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And so the witness of the early church was accompanied by the signs and wonders, and it confirmed the gospel as it went with uh, God's people. And so part of the mistakes that we make is when we mention the, the wonders in verse 17 to 18, and we have a tendency to zone in on those, and we completely miss the point of the text when we just hone in on the signs and wonders uh, themselves. And so the point of the signs is not the signs themselves, but instead uh, they're there as a reminder that the Christian faith is, again, it's not an ideology, it's not a philosophy, but it is a way of living. And the way of living, it's a way of living that's empowered by God's Spirit. And so we do have a tendency to focus and get caught up in those things. And we tend to get caught up in the things that the human eye is able uh, to see. Um, but what we have to remember and be reminded of is that the power and work of God goes so much further than what the eye is actually able to see. And it's, it's ultimately more powerful than what we, we can see. Um, the theologian uh, Adolf um, Schlater said this in regards to the signs. Uh, the, vo the vocation of those who proclaim Jesus far exceeds what is visible to the eye. Uh, they bring the world heavenly gifts, and these gifts are also undergirded by signs that reveal to everyone that God per God's protection, help, and gifts are present with his messengers. And so I wanted to emphasize again uh, verse 19 and 20 um, because I do want to make this, I want to make it clear that this, uh, the power, like what makes this passage powerful and I uh, don't want to just be distracted by what, this, what it says about like the signs and wonders um, because like we said, like they're, they're not the points. Like those things, like when they have happened, it's incredible. They're powerful. They're great testimonies. Um, they, make us, they make us think. And they reveal God's goodness. They reveal his graciousness. Um, but again, like they're not the goal and they're not the, the points of the Christian life. And so verse 19 and 20 says again, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And so it was necessary at this time for um, the disciples that Christ ascended. And it was necessary because Christ was sending the Holy Spirit to be with them, as he, and he is with us. Uh, and it was through the receiving of the Holy Spirit that they started to understand like, what was going on. And so like, we know from the early in the passage that the, the disciples didn't get it. But as Christ is sending them, they receive the Holy Spirit, and they start to understand what is going on. 
And so Christ ascended and left us because we still do have a lot of work to do. Um, Spurgeon says uh, this in regards to the Great Commission. I think that if I had not brought to Christ the full number of jewels that he intended me to bring to adorn his crown, I would ask to come back even from heaven. And so in our culture, just as people in general, but especially in our culture, it's easy for us to get caught up in our individualism, in our individualism, and forget why it is that we're here. And we're here because we exist for the good of God's church. We exist for the good of our neighbors. And in an individualistic society, it's easy for us to neglect our neighbor and turn a cold shoulder for whatever petty reason we might have. And that's part of why I, enjoy, I appreciated this, the quote from Spurgeon that I just shared, is because it communicates like what it means to have a sold-out heart for the things of God, and that anybody who lives that out will sacrifice their personal reward uh, for the good of God's kingdom and for the good of God's purpose. And what we see in the last few verses of the passage that we've read is that Christ has commissioned us, and it's important that we don't forget that as he's commissioned us, he has not abandoned us and he has not left us alone. Um, he gave us the church, and but most importantly, he did, he goes with us on the assignments that he has given us. Um, he has not sent us alone. Um, he is with you and he has equipped you for what it is that he has ahead for you. Um, the work that we do, the words that we say, uh, they're made powerful because the Holy Spirit makes our words and works powerful. Um, so when one of us says, I can't, I'm not ready, or more honestly, that I won't, we need to know that ultimately what we're doing is we're denying God's presence with us when we say those things. Um, and we must remember that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, the same spirit that gave Peter the boldness and courage to preach in the, the book of Acts, the same spirit that enabled Paul to write the, th the 13 letters, uh, the same spirit that was with Martin Luther and John Calvin during the Reformation, that is the same Holy Spirit that is with you today in this very moment at this very second. Uh, the same Holy Spirit that made you believe is the same Holy Spirit that is with you every day and in this moment. Um, in one of Spurgeon's sermons, he calls it the inward secrets power. Um, and it is very good and worthy news to celebrate that God is with us and he sent us the Holy Spirit to guide us and make what we say and do powerful every single day even in the midst of our doubts and even in the midst of our imperfect obedience. And so my hope for us, uh, each, one of, each of us here today, is that we can grow in eagerness uh, for the great work the Lord has called us to, um, and that we find comfort, we can find peace and rest in trusting the Holy Spirit who was sent to us and really is actually with us daily and in this very moment. Because if the Holy Spirit is with us, uh, since, and since he is with us, we can have confidence in the works, we can have confidence in our words, uh, we can have confidence in our imperfect obedience, because the power of those things does not come from us, but it does come from God. So let us pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, this day that you've given us, Lord, and we're just uh, thankful for the great work that you have called us to. And Lord, we, do, we are thankful that the instruction you have given us is simple. Um, and uh, we do... Uh, confess and trust in your forgiveness for when we do fail to, to be obedient, Lord. And we just pray that each one of us here, including myself, does have a growing heart, a growing love for the work that you have called us to, and that uh, we do continue to grow in trusting you and trusting your spirits, and we do, having faith and 
being moving forward in boldness and in love uh, as you've called us to, as we grow in obedience to you, and as we go and love our neighbors, preach your gospel, and we make disciples, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.